Welcome to Tactically Acquired. Our goal is to document military-connected living history in a fun and easy environment. We will capture the stories of our active duty, guard, reservists, veterans, ROTC, and their families, sharing their stories, adventures, and journeys across the military life cycle. The podcast is for anyone interested in joining the military, has been part of the military, or wishes to learn more about military life. In addition, we want to bridge the growing military-civilian divide through education. This is unfiltered, meaning we'll go over the good, the bad, and yes, maybe even the ugly of being a military-connected individual. I'm your host, Rusty Martis, a retired Air Force Mustang and OEF veteran, and I run the Veterans Resource Station at North Kentucky University. Let's just start with, uh, if you don't mind, just uh, introducing yourself, name, branch of service, and go from there. Yes, my name is Nick Brophy, branch of service, Army. Army. And you're not a traditional Army guy, though, are you? I'm not a traditional Army guy. Like you, I'm a Mustang as well. (laughs) There you go. um, For those of you who don't know what that is, hopefully you do. But if you don't, that means we served significant enlisted time in the senior ranks and then transitioned to the dark side. To the dark side. I hear that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) How did you end up choosing the Army? Um, I don't really have a good story about how I chose it. I think I just, uh, I saw a sign and thought I'm desperate to get college money and that's the, that's the name that was on the sign. So that's the direction I went in. And did it work out for you? Did <laughs> you get abso- that college money? It absolutely worked out and then some. So you, you kind of found it through the army. Um, what kind of, if, if you don't mind, just kind of talking about what did they kind of offer you or how did it end up wrapping up to education, benefit you educationally? Sure, sure. I mean, the whole initiative was, and I hope I don't get slapped on the wrist, but I was going to go to University of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. The whole plan out of high school was to go to college. Of course, I didn't have any money for college. I think a lot of people were in that boat. And so I, I went to enroll at University of Cincinnati in that year. It was very, very packed, and I couldn't get, I wasn't going to waste my time taking classes I didn't need, so I couldn't register for the courses I needed to start the program. Heartbroken, and at that time, UC was on quarters, and so any university with a regular semester schedule had already started. I'm upset. I'm driving down 75 South. I don't know where I'm driving to, but I'm upset. I've got all my documents with me, and I see a sign in Walton, Kentucky for the Army National Guard. Didn't even know what it was, but it said 100% free college tuition. There you go. So I rolled up in that parking lot, and the rest is history. There you go. That's awesome. That's awesome. But you're still serving. I am still serving. Just started my 23rd year yeah, awesome. in the Army Reserve. Yeah, congratulations. That's pretty cool. So you yeah. you, you went from uh, the Guard to the Reserves then? I did. I enlisted in the Guard, and I spent 19 and a half years in the Guard, mm-hmm. various capacities, um, and then... Uh, Needed a change, so looked into the Army Reserve, which usually has some interesting opportunities out there. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, you're with the Reserve. So we've had some Guard people here in the past, but just mm-hmm. kind of a refresher. Typical Kentucky National Guard does receive in-state tuition for in-state school or for state school. Correct. Um, and they meet once a month usually two days, can be three days, and then two weeks out of the year. How about in the reserves? What's that look like? Uh, very similar, very similar outlay. Um, meet once a month, generally, actually, to, to correct you a little bit, a lot of those, a lot of that op tempo has changed over the years mm-hmm. where Garden Reserve units have, have reallocated those mutas, those days of the month to low, low tempo days, and they'll put them on, or low tempo timeframes of the year, and they'll put them on high tempo timeframes of the year. Like, for example, this coming week, so next weekend, I have a drill, and it's four days. And so because of that, we don't have the drill weekend in January because it's a low-tempo month. 
So in gotcha. an airborne unit, yeah. we don't, we're not going to jump in January because the conditions are hardly ever going to be correct for that. So we reallocate those to a month where we can best utilize them. So that's typical for, for units that have a higher, higher op tempo. And then, of course, two weeks in the summer. The reserves can be a little bit longer. Sometimes they'll do three weeks. It just depends on what the mission set is. And since we go to a lot of various um, bases across the country and even the world in cases, in some cases, they'll try to lengthen that period of time to get the maximum training value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's I appreciate you going into that because it's uh, when you talk garden reserves, it seems, and you're the expert. I've never spent any time in the garden, never spent any time in the reserve, but it seems like um, it's a little bit different. Each one's just set mm -hmm. up a little bit different mm -hmm. and they do a little bit different things. Um, traditionally, guard will stay you know, work for their state where reserves is working for the federal government for the most part. Yeah, it's probably a little more in-depth than that, mm -hmm. where <clears throat> back in 2006 when the Army restructured its entire force, you know, the active duty has a lot of combat arms. So infantry, field artillery, aviators, obviously a lot of special forces entities and whatnot. Um, uh, some engineers, the guard, and the guard was able to do what's called a combat, su a combat support role. So they'll have a lot of military police, a lot of engineers, field artillery, uh, chemical. Um, they do have a lot of aviation assets too. And they'll have uh, a little more modular composition than the regular army does. And then the reserve component breaks down a little bit further to combat, what's called combat service support roles, which is, and I work in civil affairs. So these, these almost like specialty type function. So uh, psychological operations, civil affairs, um, mortuary affairs. And they'll have all these uh, special, smaller, specialized units. A lot of training units are come from the reserves as well. So drill sergeant units and things of that nature. So it's a little bit, there. everybody, the, the, those components, although funding is different, mm -hmm. and that certainly changes, you know, what their priorities are. They, they truly have a completely different force structure than one another that, that in when you include all three components make up the entire functionality of the united states army yeah it's really cool how it yeah. breaks down honestly and and uh i had a, a student pretty recently come through and uh said they were in the reserves and i asked them i said why did you choose the reserves and they're like well the guard deploys too much <laughs> <laughs> did you see that during your time uh, i know it's changed quite a bit but yeah. it does seem like the guard get activated a little bit more well, and, and i think that's because of their role you know yep, i think exactly. you know, obviously the active component is and you can even in the air force and mm -hmm. navy in the marine corps of course they they have their mission set and they're deployed in support of whatever that mission set is and you know there's a little more diversification in the army because of its size and it has multiple components but the the guard because the guard is a service is a combat support element meaning that these units support the direct fight. So military police secure the battlefield for infantry. They secure the battlefield for field artillery. They do traffic control measures. They, they don't do law enforcement like people think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, engineers, they breach obstacles for special operations units. They set obstacles for special operation units. So there's a lot of direct relationship between those maneuver units and support units so that the guard houses the vast majority of the army's support units. So therefore, you know, exo facto, they end up they end up on the docket a little bit more uh, for deployment. Whereas reserve component, I would say that uh, overall they probably deploy just as much, but the reserve components re deployments aren't scheduled as far ahead as maybe the the guard is, um, and they're not as 
finite maybe. Um, like for example, in our unit, we get asked people, we get asked to send people to interesting places, Africa, uh, the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, um, different continents around the world to support, you know, as small teams. We're talking four people at a time, so not an entire unit. It's just right. a different deployment scheme altogether. But I think they're just as frequent. It's just a matter of whether you're in the branch, whether you're in an MOS, whether you're the right rank, whether you're willing to accept, mm -hmm. you know, a, 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 an interesting mission, and the durations generally aren't as long either. Yeah, well, I, I needed you back when I was testing for uh, rank and stuff because you broke it down a lot easier than some of the other people did. So <laughs> I appreciate you going into that. Now, um, so you said you, you've been in for a few years now. Yeah, that's uh, uh, did, did, did you have to redo basic training when you transferred over from the Guard to Reserves? Or how did that, oh, no. that, that no. work out as far as... I mean, my basic training, so I went to Fort Knox. I'm very proud about that because it yep. doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. It was one of the old, only all-male basic trainings uh, at the time. And, you know, uh, categorically, uh, people say it's one of the hardest basic trainings that the military in general has ever had. And so I'm very proud of that, that mm -hmm. lineage. So I did that back in my enlisted days, at the beginning of my tenure. Um, now, I went to OCS... When I, when I decided to commission, and in the Guard, you can do take two different routes. You can take a traditional route, which is kind of like the one weekend a month for a year and a half or two years, which is grueling in my opinion. And then you go to a camp in the two weeks in the summer, and then you complete it the following summer for another two weeks. And wow. that's, that's your commissioning cycle as far as OCS goes. Mm. Well, you know, I, don't, I like to take the hard route. Yeah, do it so all. I went to the accelerated route, which is not federal OCS. You can take federal OCS as well, but it's not hard. That's a gentleman's course. The... The Guard Accelerated OCS, Guard and Reserve Accelerated OCS program, is the hardest of all accelerated, all OCS programs. Eight weeks, so it's very similar in that structure to basic training, except for all that crap you do in basic training where you get tortured by the drill sergeants, and you get tortured by every cadre out there, push-ups and sit-ups, and you know every at the 50-minute mark of your classroom instruction, you come out and hold your rifle up for 10 minutes. We did the same stuff in OCS, except for we did it to ourselves. <laughs> It was all instructed by the students. We ran, not only did we do all that stuff, but we planned everything, every day. We had to do all the logistics. The cadre did nothing but smoke the tar out of us. There you go. So it was harder in that aspect. Yeah. Now, of course, by that point, I was like, bring this on. I already knew about the mind games, so it was... It was a good time for me, but there were people that were really struggling. So <laughs> being a Mustang paid off in yeah, some definitely aspects. Definitely paid off. off. Definitely paid off. There wasn't whole, probably a whole lot of new games that they could bring out. Uh, and no, that, but I just laughed at the games. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, is there any um, anything that just kind of stands out from either basic training or OCS that's just like, man, that was a real pain, or that was kind of a funny story, or anything that uh, that you well, want to share? Um, it was in the winter of of 2000 so there was a that if you look at the weather records that was one of the heaviest snows that Kentucky ever had in that year and as we went to the field which was in January of that year that year um, it was actually warm out it was it was 60 degrees and raining and as we ruck marched out to the the bivouac sites to set up camp for that four or five days we did the field exercise it got colder and colder and colder as we rucked out there and then it started to rain, and then it eventually turned to snow and ice. And I remember <laughs> that night, that first night, sitting in the tent, completely soaked from the rain, because we it was so nice when we started the walk, and I'm my uniform is totally frozen to my body by the time the morning comes. Even though we had a pop belly stove in there, that thing didn't do a damn thing, just, <laughs> just in case anyone's wondering. It didn't heat up anything. So it barely heated up the, the ground around it. But 
It was miserable. I remember that. And I, but it, but it, you know what it did? It, it reminded me of, of how to persevere through some stuff like that because we still had four more days out there. Right. And I'm sitting in a wet uniform and it didn't get dry the rest of the time. So it was, it teaches you about that intestinal fortitude aspect. So that's not your only job, right? You're, you're doing other things as well. Right. And, and, that, and I think it's important, Rusty, because um, I, you know, you hear people talk about active duty and I've got nothing but respect for mm -hmm. people who are on active duty. I couldn't do it simply because, you know, I'm a little bit of a maverick and I can't follow rules to that T, <laughs> which is a question on your list here. But um, the, there's a role, there's a reason for that. And the Garden Reserve is really tough because you, the, the act of going to drill is not tough when you're a single guy or a gal. You know, it's not difficult. It's not tough when you don't have a career. It's hobby that point but as life as you know mm -hmm. life gets more complicated and you know I'm divorced I have an 11 year old daughter uh, I have a career and I've had multiple careers multiple different careers I hate to say that but, uh, but it's the truth and it's always it's always on your mind you're always committing some level of energy to that even if it's subconscious mm -hmm. and it's a very difficult I wouldn't even say balancing act it's just really really hard to articulate the importance of it or um, take away from the things that you care about. And inevitably, the drill weekend is on a weekend that you have something to do, like, you know, go to the Super Bowl or, uh, you know, yep. uh, an important birthday or your birthday. Like, I missed my birthday for the first 14 years of my career because I was always gone for it. So, so now I don't celebrate my birthday because I have never gotten into the habit of it. So it's just, you know, there's a, yeah. lot of, there's a lot of sacrifices made. Not that their active component doesn't share that sacrifice, but that is your lifestyle. Right. And so in the Garden mm -hmm. Reserve, you, you have to maintain... A totally not only do you have your work life you have your personal life then you have your military life yeah absolutely. and it's a really you know that trident of, of balance is really difficult i love that I, I don't think i've ever heard that before that trident balance because you, it's so true um, i just made it up but i yeah, tell you what it really I, it really it, reigns true it does it does and <clears throat> i can't tell you how many uh friends family um students that, it, that like you said drill weekend always falls on something that else is going on. Always. Yeah. Always, man. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I share that story with uh, my the faculty when we teach uh, what we call the Green Zone Brigade, just introducing faculty and staff to military lifestyle because almost every exam seems to fall on a day that they have to leave for drill or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. So yeah. It, it provides some flexibility is key to making sure the, to adjust to it. Because you can't, you can't really just say no. Well, I mean, and, you and you say, I mean, you mentioned perseverance. Like, I mean, yeah. I think about my college days. I mean, I tell this story a lot. Um, you know, when I, in 2005, I guess it was, I was a student here at NKU. And, you know, I was taking 15 or 18 credit hours. I did that every semester. And I worked full time. I was a COO of a small retail mm -hmm. company. So I was busy. Right. Dating girls, hanging out with friends, all that stuff. Of course, I had the military in the back of my mind. And we got deployed, and we knew the deployment was coming, but, you know, you can't just pick up and leave. You've, you've got to prepare. Well, I was in the middle of a semester. And even though the university has a, a process to handle somebody who gets deployed, I'm not following that process because it would have resulted in incompletes, and I wanted to get out of school. So, you know, I had to coordinate all that stuff at the mm -hmm. beginning of the semester with all my professors, and I was lucky enough that the professors here allowed me to simultaneously complete assignments that were beyond where we were actually at in class so that I could complete everything in time. So awesome. I didn't have to take incompletes, you yeah. know, and, and subsequently they sent me care packages overseas and, you know, we were very close. So it, that perseverance aspect allowed me to, you know, I, I just put it all on my shoulders and I just pushed through the wall. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't want to accept anything less than what I wanted.
Wow, that, that's that's wonderful. Uh, speaking of uh, being deployed and overseas and everything, and um, did you kind of have a, a favorite or one that was more memorable than any other as far as your uh, places you were stationed or that you visited? I know. No, I, I mean, I, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan, and mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, I, I, believe it or not, Afghanistan is a third world country and Iraq is not. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that might surprise them, but... Um, I, I don't know. I think Afghanistan was more. I, I like scenery, and there's a lot more scenery, particularly where I was at in the northern part of Afghanistan. It, it, well, I, I served in both areas and mm-hmm. down close to Syria and everything, and I just enjoyed that uh, that deployment. There was more experiences for me. So we, we 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 had a mission set as a unit, as a, and I was enlisted at that time. So you know, I'm just doing what they tell me to do, basically, um, but. Because we, you know, there were so many other things that that military police can get involved in. I was able to do mobile training teams where I flew across the country. I worked with third third special forces group for augmenting with them for ninety days and seventh group for ninety days. And so there was just it, it was fun because I met a lot of, a great group of people that weren't from my unit because we were the battalion headquarters, and so we had units attached to us. It was a it was a uh, it was a joint force, so we had Air Force, we had a substantial Air Force contingency, and then we had a, a couple of Marines and a, even a few Navy Seabees uh, doing stuff for us. And so it was a really great demonstration of how all branches of service work together, which is why rarely we hear me you know, talk jive on another branch because mm-hmm. they have their own purpose, right? right. That's, that their function is very important to the fight. And so... I don't know. I think that's that's why. Well, it didn't have anything to do with the enemy. It didn't have anything to do with you know, really the country. I guess I just I just like that there was opportunities and there was a joint force and there were, you know, interesting things to get involved in. Well, I I totally agree. Anytime you do a joint force assignment, it really opens your eyes mm-hmm. to how everyone work together. And I will tell you, and you can answer this question and I answer this question, but I get asked <laughs> this question all the time: is what was one of the favorite branches you ever worked with? Mine was no doubt was the Marine Corps because it was mm-hmm. like. You, you get a mission, there's like, pack your bag, get your gun, we're going out, we're accomplishing it. Right. And, and the Air Force, um, they want me to go and sign in, do a safety briefing before every time I had to go outside the wire, come back, <laughs> had to count bullets, give them every bullet back, um, yep. sign another thing, do another safety briefing, and then follow up. So after the first time, I quit going uh, to yeah. them. That's true. <laughs> I just didn't tell yeah, the Air that's Force. That's similar to my experience, too, yeah. the, the Marines. Now, we, didn't have, we, only had a, we only had probably 14 Marines with us, but... Yep. Yeah, I mean, and, and we did, you know, we did prison duty, mm-hmm. right? We had all that stuff, too. We, we had some mundane tasks to do, but these guys were really disciplined, and I can think of a few that come to mind. But, yeah, it, and we would take them on, and, you know, it's always the young guys, too. You take the young guys, you're like, hey, you're going to have this, you're going to have this 50 calendar vehicle, and they're all, they're all psyched about it, and, you know, teach them the way that the Army does it, because we are a little bit better at, at some of those, some of that large group tactical aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would roll a convoy with, every branch of service yep. and we didn't have any organic teams we just said hey who wants to, who's available to go on this thing are right, you 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 oh, great we'd have yeah. this multi you know multi domain team and that includes the afghan national army or mm-hmm. the iraqi army or whatever the case is just it doesn't get any better than that right it right. really doesn't yeah that's pretty cool all so right as long as you get the mission accomplished we kicked ass and took names there you go <laughs> we did. there you go <laughs> failure is not an option that's right. i always tell them all right, so this is, I always find this question kind of interesting, especially uh, for you because you've been, like you said, both in the Guard and the Reserves. Um, you've experienced multiple deployments. Um, you've been 
basically quite a few places <laughs> around the world. Mm -hmm. And um, well, let me just get into it. So have you ever uh, needed to or had the requirement to kind of tactically acquire something? And if you don't know, tactically acquired is to basically take, well, let's call it, we'll call it sneaky, acquired, needed equipment or items, but it's needed equipment or items that you just didn't have uh, properly prepared that you had to kind of get. I mean, I've done this in the last three months, right? you know? So we, you know, in an airborne unit, we get all sorts of cool stuff, cool helmets, bump helmets, uh, different rucksacks that are approved for jumping, uh, different body armor vests. And I've acquired all those things in the last three months. and. I don't know if I even did it tactically. I, just, <laughs> I want this thing. Give me that thing. And as an officer, you know, they don't want to give you anything. You ask for something, yeah. they do not want to help you. I don't care if it's sitting on their desk and it's like, can I have that patch? Nope, you can't because you're an officer. You have to buy your own stuff. Like It's, yeah. it's not like it was in the, in the enlisted days. They, right. They're throwing you a whole pack of stuff and you're right. I don't need this. Take them anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you kind of have to, as, as somebody who works with the public and as somebody who, who, you know, I, I'm always negotiating these things and I like to talk to people. <laughs> it's not hard for me to tactically acquire those things. And overseas, we, we tactically acquired a, um, a, a Range Rover or Land Rover or something. I mean, it was beat up, but you know, we, it, it was out there and I was like, hey, who's you know, using that thing? Right, let's take you know, it, we, we can, can use it. What do you guys say? What do you, what do you need? Like, so things like that, mm -hmm. just to make the mission easier, have Absolutely. a little fun with it, you know. Yeah. But I have, I know many people who tactically acquired other illegal things yeah. <laughs> or potentially illegal things so yeah yeah it is what it is right well i always find that question interesting because uh especially if, like i said from a garden reserve um and it happens on active duty too oh, don't sure. get me wrong um where you deploy and you don't have all the necessary items that you need and you have to figure it out because you need it mm -hmm. um but it, it seems like and I'm, I'm being stereotypical i get it but it seems like uh sometimes the guard in particular, doesn't necessarily get all the items they need beforehand. <laughs> yeah, I think it depends on the state. I'm, luckily, yeah. luckily, Kentucky pro-military state. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Medium-sized state, pro-military. Um, in my experience, we've been we they get. I mean, we had brand new Humvees. Nice. We, had, we went to the range and fired off brand new M4s right out of the box. Um, brand new nine millimeters. And the unit I'm in right now, you know, the Army just fielded a new nine millimeter, the M17. Oh, nice. Uh, so we we have those, um, and they're sweet. So. Yeah, I mean, I've heard some stories mm -hmm. about other states. You know, we yeah. had some Florida guard guys, and they had garbage. And yeah. I know the Ohio is not real big on the guard side. They're more of a reserve state, so they're not – they don't get fancy stuff. So it's kind of all over the map. Kentucky, though, was really good. That's good that. to hear. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. But we, that doesn't mean – that you don't have to have a supply guy in your pocket. Absolutely. You still got to know, you got to have a guy. Yeah. You got to have a guy fix your vehicle. You got to have a guy to get you food. You got to have a guy to get you – you know, lickies and chewies and fun stuff. So yeah. that's 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 an important aspect of building that team. Well, that's a great point. And yeah, honestly, I don't know if I've really ever thought about it, but um, networking in the military is just, if not more important than it is on the outside mm -hmm. as well to get things accomplished and done. Um, yeah. And I learned it the hard way through the military life. I, I mean, fundament they're fundamentally different and yeah. because in the military, you're, you're probably going to be there for a finite amount of time. Right. So, you you know, you make that relationship. And as you know, the military is a revolving door. So you make a relationship and poof, they're gone right. a month later. But it's a continuous effort. But it does have a, it does have a shelf life on it because they're either going to move on or you're going to move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the civilian world, yeah. 
It lives on. You build those <laughs> so connections. It lives on. Yeah. And you never know, you may run into somebody from yeah. the military. That's We've all done that somewhere. Absolutely. So, so uh, I know I'm totally off subject, but I gotta tell this quick story real fast. Yeah. So I was stationed in Great Falls, Montana at Maelstrom Air Force Base. Um, I was there about eight years. Um, I worked in the 12th Missile Squadron at one period in time. So fast forward, that was back in 2001 through um, 2007-ish. Um, fast forward to when I got to Kentucky, back to Kentucky in 2011, I go to my high school and talk about UC. I was, I was uh, doing ROTC out at UC. Mm-hmm. Went to my local high school to do some recruiting. While I'm there, a gentleman walks up and he starts talking to me. As we're talking, we found out we were stationed at Maelstrom at the same time, the same place, in the same unit, didn't know each other until 20 years later when we yeah. came, ran across each other in some Kentucky. Yeah. So, it just yep. happens, you know? It's, it's, it's bizarre. It is bizarre. It's bizarre. Yeah. yeah. And I suspect, you know, in, in 20 years from now, when, you know, or over 20 years from me, when I'm eligible for the honor flight, I'm the, it's on my mind because I just right. saw that on the news yep. last night. Last one for this year. Honor yeah. flight, you know, but I got yeah. 24 more years to go before yeah. I can, I'm eligible for it. But nonetheless, um, I suspect on that flight, I'll see people I hadn't seen in 20 something years. There you go. You know, yeah. I really believe that. Yeah. That's and I'll awesome. be happy when that time comes to, to rehash those relationships. Well, missiontransition.org, you know, has been doing studies for over 20 years now mm-hmm. on uh, transitioning service members. And 76% of all service tra- members transitioning say it was more difficult than they ever expected. Yeah. So it, it does take, especially since, you know, so I, I spent 24 years in the service and you're, you're 23 plus. Um, it is a piece that you got to figure out, right? So. Well, you know, we talk, we, we've joked about the salsa yeah. dancing thing for all those people who are going to listen to this. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting thing. But that, that to me, you know, what that represents to me is what is the next chapter? Yeah. In its own, you know, just yeah. self-discovery and mm-hmm. finding something that you're passionate about and, 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 you know, in a similar way, but, but in, a, in a fundamentally different way. You, you were sharing with me that you've gotten into salsa, you're kind of big into it. I was going to ask you if you learned how to dance from your military time, or is that something you just picked up off of the no, side? No, well, you know, um, I guess, I guess yes, yeah. in a way, when I was married. Um, it really was outside of that. I had some friends who got engaged, and they did a little dance uh, engagement party that they did some ballroom dancing. And so my wife and I, w- we weren't married at the time, but we went there, and we kind of got some instruction for a few hours, and... And then we did a class on our own um, after that, and then it kind of died off. And then several years later, uh, when I was the battalion S1 for an engineer battalion, I was we were planning a military ball, and it was my turn as the battalion S1 to plan. Um, so I decided, hey, we'll do we'll just do a ballroom dancing mm-hmm. competition. And you know, obviously there was a lot of pushback on that idea, but we were able to get it. We hired some folks from Louisville. They came and did some instruction with with soldiers and spouses for two hours before the ball that's awesome we all went home and put our pretties on <laughs> that's awesome came to the ball and it was and it was a ball and it yeah. was and her, my wife and i took second place and got beat out by my by my my soldier <laughs> my senior soldier in my section recently i started doing salsa and i thought this is a way that i can meet some interesting people and you know i can maybe express myself in a different way and that's kind of what led me there that's awesome yeah 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 it's really cool. I, I don't know of anybody who, and I've been to quite a few military balls, and we still do a military tile ball every year. 
And I don't know if anybody that ever did ballroom dancing mm -hmm. training prior to the ball. Yeah. I think it's a brilliant idea. It was, it, yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it, I mean, we, you know, two, two engineer battalions worth yeah. of people. So, uh, you know, we'll say, well, if engineering people can figure out how to dance, then <laughs> usually make the best answers from what I understand. Yeah, I understand that. that. And I, I just want to clear something up, Rusty. Yeah. I mean, I never, I do salsa dancing. I didn't say I could dance. I mean, that's a, you know, this is, this is a journey, man. I mean, I'm, I do okay, but <laughs> All right. well, I, I'm working I on it. I'm, I'm working in that direction. I don't sure. see you sitting at the bar by yourself very often. No. You're always on the dance floor. Yeah. So <laughs> it takes a little bit of encouraging, but I get out there. There you go. There you go. Um, is there anything that you wish kind of civilians or just uh, quote unquote civilians really knew or understood more about your service time? I mean, I think, you know, as you're a career guy, me a career guy, we, you know, we, we know that there's people supporting us. Yeah. We didn't do it on our own. We did it yeah. on our own physically, but we didn't do it on our own. Absolutely. So yeah, whether especially all over the world. Or children or whatever yeah. the case is. Yeah. Just friends. Just having good friends that support you. Absolutely. Big deal. Absolutely. Any kind of final thoughts? Any additional tips, stories? Anything that we kind of skipped over? Uh, no, I mean, I, I tell you what, I mean, I know this is like, there's some academic component to this. You know, we want to, we want to, we, we want the students to get something from this. Mm -hmm. we, there's some historical piece to, we want to sum up history. We want to celebrate our veterans and our employees and people that work for NKU. And I think it's really nice. I want to thank you. I want to thank NK, NKU for having this. It's kind of a cool thing, you know. Um, way back when, before VRS, there was a VRS. You know, there was a student organization that I helped create in some way, shape, or form in the charter that ultimately led to VRS. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's nice to see that the university has invested in this initiative. And um, I hope the veterans who hear this come out of the woodwork and, and want to get more involved because there's lots of ways to get involved. And whether that's participate a Green Zone Brigade thing mm -hmm. or, or, you know, just let it be known or celebrate on uh, Veterans Day or, or call me and say, how, how do I start a business? And help me understand this, whatever the case is, you know, the university's invested in this initiative and I think we can't help but be invested in it too. Ensure to tune in next Friday where we will have a NKU student and Navy veteran join us on Tactically Acquired.